Hello and welcome to the AC Podcast. This is me, Troy. I'm here with Andy and Steve. Thank you for joining us. Let's get into it. Hey, good to be with you all. I actually have a note here that I want to just begin with one of our dear listeners uh, that listened to our last podcast, which was a spicy one. We received a lot of comments uh, from that last podcast on what what was the topic? What did we title it? Persecuted. The case for the frustrated church or case of the frustrated church. Persecuted with a question mark. Well, this listener said, I absolutely loved the podcast today. It was exactly what I needed. It motivated me to to just spend my walk tonight in prayer for you and your team. Uh, we really appreciate that. And then she went on to say, I love that you've added Troy. So (laughs) there's there's a little shout out, a little love for Troy, man. It is good to have you. you. It is good to be here. I am am honored to be a part of the team, um, getting to join you guys every single week as you listen to our voices. (laughs) 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 So, yeah. Uh, yeah, you, you didn't know what you were signing up for, though. Uh, you know, with the with some of these spicy podcasts, it gets uh, gets interesting. Uh, we want to jump into a different topic, though, today. Along the lines of temptation, mm. we want to speak on the subject of Jesus and the temptation that he went through in the wilderness. Now, guys, I think that this is an important subject for us to speak on for a multiplicity of reasons. However, one that immediately jumps to my mind is just simply, I think, the defeat that so many people experience in their life. I was reminded of that this weekend. I I did a speaking engagement uh, on Zoom. I've done many Zoom speaking engagements this last year. I'm looking forward to putting those behind me one day. You know, it's it's at least a medium in which we can continue to encourage people. But uh, I've been amazed as of recent in the number of speaking engagements that I've done. And, And again, this last Friday was one of those where I've just encountered young people that are just so ensnared in their sin, that have, that have given in to temptation so many times, they just feel completely defeated. And this one young man, you know, there, there, was, there was something like oh, almost 100 people on this, this Zoom talk, let's call it that. And during the Q&A, he asked, how do I deal with pornography. Mm. I, well, I'll never forget this. I, when I was uh, pastoring once, I had a guy walk in off the streets into the church and say, I've got to talk with you, sits down in my office. He says, listen, I'm not a Christian, but I cannot deal with the temptation in my life. I, have, I am completely controlled by pornography. And, and just in tears, this guy, just weeping, just said, can you help me? Hmm. Can you help me? So listen, we're going to talk about temptation. We're going to talk about Jesus's victory over temptation. And as you guys know, I've been wanting to talk about this for a while. Yes, yes. We've been chomping <laughs> at the bit, not only for, you, for us to do this one, but the relevance of it day to day. You know, this isn't just one of those topics that 
all right, well, here's a hot button issue. It's just, it is genuinely something that I don't think we unpack enough specifically as a church. I think, I think sometimes we can, we want to move around the subject because we don't want to hurt people. We don't want to, we don't want to see people go running. Yeah. And there is also the aspect of with sexual sins, especially there is a lot of shame associated with it. Not only the shame that you get from people that are outside of you, but for yourself as well. Right. And, and you don't want that sort of a thing to be revealed to everyone. Um, and I remember this one time, this worship leader that I knew from another church that I used to attend in BC, he said there was this time when, you know, during their service, they had this prayer time, right? And the elders would be standing up front there and people would come down to receive prayer. And the band was playing music softly in the background. And this young man comes to this one elder and the elder's praying and the music starts building, the music starts building. And so the, the elder had to pray quite loudly and then all of a sudden the music drops and in the corner you hear and lord deliver this man from pornography <laughs> right <laughs> yeah that young man never came back yeah. I, I was told and so i mean th- that says something about the kind of shame that you feel right about sexual sins which i think that given this pandemic has only exasperated the issues that many have faced where busyness may have replaced or been uh, an ability in some way to escape. I think others in this time of, of being alone and boredom, if you will, I think Satan has had a lot of time to manipulate and to tempt and to absolutely defeat people. And so I think that this is particularly relevant given our time. Here's something else, though, that I think is really interesting and we need to talk about before we jump into the scripture. And that is that as a church, we don't talk enough, like you said, about temptation, but specifically about the tactics of Satan. Mm. Now, I recently read a book that's on that subject. Uh, We will promote it when it comes out. I was was writing an endorsement for it, but as I'm reading this book, I'm like, yes, that's right. We should be thinking more about Satan and the tactics that he uses. We often would say in the past that one of Satan's greatest tricks is just people's ignorance of him, right? That people mm-hmm. don't think much about Satan and that Satan kind of works behind the scenes. I, I actually think that's not the case anymore. As we have moved into a post-truth culture, the, I think the spiritual temperature of our cultural climate, if you will, ha- has risen a lot. Mm. And Satan has become more and more bold in the deception that you and I are confronted with. I don't know. What do you, what do you guys think about that? Well, it's, I agree a hundred percent. I think it, it coincides with more resources, you know, as we have more resources um, and access to information, entertainment, to, to assume that Satan isn't with the times, (laughs) you know, is just, is just incredibly naive. You know, we, you think about the back doors of, of apps like Snapchat and Facebook and TikTok and all of these, I think it would be incredibly naive to say that with these new resources that he is not able to operate even more efficiently. Not to say like he's gotten smarter or anything of that nature, but, but just the reality is, is if, if we as people say that, oh man, we can do so many new things now, 
It's like, well, yes, so can he, because he has just as much access to them through us. And the biblical view of the world, too, is that, you know, there is more than just this earthly life, you know, this kind of immediate world of the senses that's at play here, right? The biblical view of the world is there are cosmic forces at work, right, that are interested in you. Both sides are interested in you, and there is no neutral ground, right? Just think about that, right? God is interested in you, mm. while so is his enemy. Yeah. And so there, there is one thing, because I, I find that even to talk about Satan or, or the enemy, the accuser, the adversary, we see, especially in North America and Western Europe, we want to sort of kind of explain him away as not a real entity, right? Cause, and in, in my view, that is, um, that is a tactic of the enemy as well, is to ter- make himself out to be not real, yeah. Right. So uh, when I was in, um, in the metaphysics class back in university, uh, one of the things that we talked about was miracles. Why is it that we seemingly right, don't experience miracles in the West, whereas we hear lots of reports from missionaries all over the world serving elsewhere? Now, uh, it is not at all true that miracles don't happen here, but it just seems more quiet, you know, like, mm-hmm. um, and so what's going on here? And, and my prof said, well, if I were Satan, I would like to keep my head down here. Cause I think I've got a good thing going in the West because yeah. people don't believe in me. But I guess what I'm, what I'm saying though, Steve, is I, I I'm challenging that though, because I think that that has been the case, but I'm saying more and more, it seems as though Satan is more and more okay with with more of a frontal attack these days. I don't deny that the enemy is getting bolder, but I guess what I am saying is people don't see it that way because their worldview says these things don't happen. Or even in the church, some people see the devil behind every bush, but then there is another more sort of naturalized Christians, if you will, who will say, well, Satan is just a symbol in the Bible and it has doesn't have a real presence in the world, you know, so it's it's not a like a real thing. Um, it is more of a systemic thing, so on and so forth. Yeah, it's it, it's interesting. I mean, we could talk quite a bit about just this very fact because mm. I actually I've had so many conversations as of late where people are coming to the understanding of their brokenness and it's through their inability to mm-hmm. deal with temptation and their weakness that they're that they're really coming to Christ going okay I I need help like mm-hmm. I suck and and I and I'm and I'm you know coming to understand that I think that that is a profoundly christian uh idea that you and I appreciate just how broken we are. And then in light of that, does Jesus shine? So let's jump into the scriptures here. And to do so, I first want to take a moment to set the scene as where we find ourselves. In particular, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 4. One of the things that's important to appreciate is that we have a juxtaposition that's happening from the beginning of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament. 
with regards to two temptations that take place. One takes place in a cultivated garden, the Garden of Eden, with Adam and Eve. And we see that this serpent, Satan, comes and tempts Adam and Eve. And and of course, Eve is the main vocal character in that. But both are together, both fall prey to that temptation, and both sin. A broken world is is ushered in, and the Old Testament becomes this backdrop of brokenness, where we just see people failing, and more than that, we see this nation that God's going to use, the nation of Israel, and we see this nation failing. And in particular, we see this narrative of God rescuing Israel out of Egypt. However, in their distrust, they find themselves in a wilderness for 40 years. Now, in the New Testament, we see a temptation that takes place, but instead of a cultivated garden, it's an uncultivated garden. It's in a wilderness or a desert. And Jesus is in this desert for not 40 years, but for 40 days, and he's fasting. And there's this this juxtaposition as well as taking place where Adam and Eve had like a good condi- good conditions and they failed mm. and we're seeing here where Jesus has incredibly difficult conditions and we're going to see him succeed and there is a lot that we can learn from this let's look at the first temptation starting in Matthew 4 verse 1 Jesus is tested in the wilderness then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil after fasting 40 days and 40 nights he was hungry The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. This is is interesting. I think a lot of people read this and they're like, they just kind of blow past it because they're like, this just seems weird. You know, why would Satan come to Jesus in this weakened state in which he's been fasting and ask him to turn, you know, tempt him to turn stone into bread. Now, I got to say one thing, though, before we deal with that temptation. Guys, have you ever fasted before? Yes. Long periods. (laughs) Now, in the United States, when I uh, was growing up, they used to do this thing called the 30-hour famine. Have you guys ever heard of this? Yeah. Okay, well, (laughs) I remember as a youth pastor— I would do the 30-hour famine. I did this in Canada. I'd, I would, I'd do the 30-hour famine. I failed every year, guys. I, <laughs> I felt like such a loser. I'm the pastor, and I failed every year. And I can tell you how the failure started, by the way. I'd be laying in bed, and I'd be thinking to myself, man, am I hungry. And then I'd be thinking, I'm really hungry. <laughs> and then, then the thought would come. Do you know, you can drink water. That's allowed. And then I th- would think to myself, and you know, ice is like, it's just water and I can eat it. Maybe if I eat some ice cubes, I'll be less hungry. And then I find myself in the kitchen eating some ice cubes and thinking, well, this doesn't work. And then I start seeing some food in the refrigerator and before I know it, I've got a buffet going on, you <laughs> yeah. know, on the kitchen table, and, and I have failed once again at the 30-hour famine. Yeah. Yeah, our, uh, the, our church, we, we will frequently do 
corporate fast, you know, we try and do it, it's not anything that's specifically like we have to do it every quarter or anything of that nature, just as our, our leadership feel led, as our pastors feel led, we'll we'll engage in a fast. So when COVID first started, um, we fasted as a church for 40 days and it wasn't just down to water, but it was broken down to make sure that it was um that it it would challenge us for sure, but it was also healthy. Like we weren't going to put ourselves at health risks or anything of that nature, but it was hard. You know, the first three days, the way we did it, the first three days was just liquids. That's soup, that's juice, that's smoothies, that's water. And and the thing is you find yourself, okay, what constitutes a liquid? Oh, as soon as you said that, I was thinking, what constitutes soup? So right, like exactly. Uh- <laughs> so we were pureeing, we would, you know, you would puree different things into soups so that at least, you know, things would taste good or whatever. But the moment, again, our pastor would constantly be saying, he's like, if you're focused on the food, you failed. If your biggest concern is you not eating, then you've missed the point of why we're fasting. Mm-hmm. What he was trying to say is at the end of the day, if you eat a, you eat a sandwich, you eat whatever, yes, it's, there's the practice of it. But he's like, you're, you're going without to go within. And, and that always really would help me go through it. Because, man, the first, when I first moved out to BC, I, we landed here, whole new world, and we walked right into a 40-day fast. I was like, whoa, what do you mean? I can't even eat? I just got here. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you and I know that when we go without, whether it be food or whatever it might be, we it, it weakens us. It it, it 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 challenges us. And here Jesus has gone without food forty days. So it we're we're seeing this scene where Jesus is in a wilderness. He's not in ideal conditions, not like the garden. He's in this broken world, and in this broken world, he's gone without for these forty days, which is symbolic of these forty years that the Israelites walked through the the desert with God, and they found themselves in that desert because they just would not trust the Lord. They mm-hmm. they found themselves grumbling. They found themselves frustrated, and in those frustration, not trusting. Now, when I think about that, I can't help but think about the fact that you and I have been in a desert now for almost a year with this pandemic, as mm-hmm. of this recording. Not quite a year yet. And there's already been plenty of grumbling and frustration and moments of doubt and distrust in the Lord that, that I have seen in myself and many others. And I think to myself, dear Lord, what would happen if we were 40 years? Yeah, I mean, we're not so different from the Israelites after all, because that's something we do, right? When we read the Bible, uh, especially for Christians, when we read the Bible, we have this sense of them— versus us, right? But really, <laughs> we are the Israelites in a lot of ways because we do exactly what they what they do. Um, now, I, I always find it interesting that, um, you know, they're in the 40-year wandering. What triggered all of that was, yeah, like you said, it's the lack of trusting God because God said, go take the land that I'm giving to you. And they looked at, their immediate circumstances. When they sent out the spies, the spies saw just how big these people were, and they were just—they got scared. They have fortified cities. Here we are, just a ragtag group of former slaves that just came out of Egypt. How are we going to defeat that? Because they were so focused on their immediate surroundings rather than fixing their eyes on the Lord, who actually 
owns everything, right? You know, like all the lands and everything. That's it's his. And he said, I'm giving this to you. Go take it. They don't. You know what they do? God says, okay, because of your disobedience, because you're not trusting in me, you guys are not going to enter into the promised land, but it'll be the next generation. So you're going to wander in the desert for 40 years. And then what I see is, oh, no, we've done wrong. We're, now we're going to listen, right? Now we're going <laughs> to now we're gonna go take the land. And God said, don't, you know, and, and Moses says, don't do it. But they go and do it anyway. And what happens? They they get exactly what they were afraid of. They got defeated and they had to retreat. Mm-hmm. So again, that theme of not trusting in God. Well, and, it, and it's, it's key, this idea of whether or not you're going to trust God or not. And here we find Satan tempting Jesus. And what Jesus demonstrates is something that we don't see throughout the Old Testament, that we don't see throughout human history. And Jesus is fully God, but he's fully human. And we're seeing his humanity on full display as Jesus is being tempted, but yet he continues to entrust himself to the Father. And, and this is an interesting temptation that's taking place here. You know, there's nothing inherently wrong with turning stones into bread. And in fact, we're going to see soon in, in the gospel narrative that Jesus is going to multiply bread and fish, and he's going to provide. But the, the challenge that's happening here is whether or not Jesus will trust his heavenly father, or is he going to place his trust in himself? Because mm. this is ultimately what Satan is saying. Jesus, you... You don't need to be hungry. Your father has you fasting out here, but listen, you don't need to fast. You don't need to go hungry. Just provide, Jesus. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, an interesting point. The, the way the tempter is working on Jesus is like he's trying to drive a wedge between the son and the father. And in fact, I've got the Greek New Testament open here. And just the word order is a little telling to me. I mean, I'm not a Greek scholar, but what it literally says is, if the son you are of God. In other words, he's he's really emphasizing the fact that you're the son, right? Why isn't the father taking care of you, right? In fact, you'll see that in the next temptation too. It's like, well, God's going to protect you, right? If you throw yourself down. And so... Like he's really trying to drive that wedge between the son and the father. And it is in this moment, Jesus emerges victorious by saying, no, I'm going to trust God, right? He's going to take care of me. Think about how many times we've heard that with people where they're going through a difficult circumstance, their their own, you know, 40 days of suffering of, what, you know, whatever that might be in their life. And, and those temptations, those thoughts come into your mind. You know, is God really in control is, is he actually taking care or can I trust that he's going to take care of me in this? Maybe I should take matters into my own hands. I mean, let me throw it into a very human scenario. How many times have we not thought to ourselves, Lord, think of all the good I could do if I won the lottery. <laughs> think about all the good I could do if I was wealthy. I've thought of it. Trust me. Many times I'm like, Lord, and it's never a million, by the way. It's always a billion. Lord, think of the <laughs> ministry, Jesus. That I could do if I was a billionaire and the good I would do with that money. Yeah, you, as an artist, this is something I hear so much from like the arts world. You hear all these artists are like, well, if I had his influence, if I had his, you know, his following, 
I wouldn't be doing what he's doing. I'd be doing this, man. I'd be giving it to the streets. I'd be doing this. I'd be da-da-da-da-da. And I always ask him, like, well, why aren't you doing that now with what you have? If this is really about taking whatever resources you have and going and serving the people you've been called to serve, money shouldn't make a difference. Money, if, any, if anything, should, it, it may increase your reach. It may speed up the process. It may grant greater access or quantity, but at the very heart of it, if all you can do is serve your neighbor or the three people in your community and go buy them a turkey, that's well, it, it. It's like it's not a matter of of scale as it is quality. It's like what what is the purpose of what you're doing? And it's this that danger of self sufficiency. Like I can, if I have enough, I can do it myself. So think about the temptation then like this. It would be as though Jesus has a bank account with a billion dollars in it. He's also got this other bank account, though, that the Heavenly Father's given him. And it's got the median. By the way, I checked this out. The, the median checking account for most people is 3000 some some around $3,000. So he's got this checking account for 3000 that the Father's given him. And let's say it's even lower than that, right? He's in this desert. You know, he's fasting. And He's got so he's got the access to the power or the money, if you will. And Satan's tempting him, saying, You've got that billion dollar checking account, Jesus. Why don't you just draw from that? And, right? Yeah. And, but Jesus is saying, No, 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 this is what the Father has given me, and I'm going to trust him in this. So now let's just look at what Jesus does in response to Satan's temptation. Jesus doesn't buy in to Satan's temptation, but holds to, and I think this is key, the truth of Scripture correctly understood. Because Satan is constantly trying to twist God's words and and trying to skew uh, the character of God, right? Can you, can you, you, you see this with the garden narrative with Adam and Eve? You know, does God really know what he's talking about? Like, it sure looks like he's holding out on you. He doesn't want you to have that knowledge, Right. And you see this, you know, if you're really the son of man, I mean, like, if you got that power, you, I mean, you got that bank account, just mm. draw from it, right? Well, what does Jesus do? He quotes from scripture, particularly if you look at Deuteronomy chapter eight, where Jesus is quoting from the context, it references the Israelite people in the desert. The context, again, is human flourishing. What is going to lead to your good? Let, let's read that piece of scripture in context, and you can see this. Deuteronomy chapter eight, starting at verse one. Do not forget the Lord. Be careful to follow every command I am giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Wow. Boom. Notice the context of what's happening here. The Israelite people don't trust the Lord. They find themselves in this desert wilderness for 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what's in your heart and what's in the heart of humanity. Mm. It, it's distrust. But here Jesus is in the desert 
for these 40 days, and he's being humbled, and he's being tested. Why? So that we can know what is in the heart of Jesus. It really, as I think about it, guys, this is this is a moment of God's seal, if you will, that Jesus is the rabbi. Jesus is the teacher. He is going to succeed where all else have failed in that he is good because he knows that it will lead to his good. Yeah. And you know that saying, right, that that your true character comes out in times of distress, in times of need, right? So I'm often very uncomfortable with my own sort of faith when I seem to be doing well. This is a bit of a, a, a an indication of where I sometimes put my trust because it, it's, it's, you know, my spiritual strength, that sort of thing. So that's something God is working on in me. But, you know, when life seems to be going good and I'm kind to people, I'm trusting in the Lord, sometimes I think to myself, this doesn't mean much because things are comfortable. Like what's going to happen when I start losing my paycheck or you know, uh, my child falls sick and, and something goes wrong in my body or something like that. Am I really going to trust God then? Because I, I, I'm not sure I know the strength of the my faith until, and then I think to myself, well, it's not about me though, is it? It's not my faith. It, it is the faith that God is building in me. But anyway, coming back to Deuteronomy 8 though, we while we're talking about context, if you actually read on, Verse 11 on, it says, Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful desert, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the desert, something your fathers had never known to humble and to test you so that in the end it might go well with you. Right. And so th this is the idea. You, it says you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. And so I think. You know, it's not too uh, far-fetched to say Jesus had this in mind. Like, if I do this in my own power, you know, that's that's what's going to happen. I'm going to say, I did it in my own power. No, I'm going to trust God. I'm going to trust the Father. Steve, this is such an important point because sometimes people will get this, this point wrong with regards to, again, is it inherently wrong to turn rocks into bread? Is it inherently wrong to provide for yourself, right? To get a job, to buy some groceries, uh, or or to get a diploma, you know, to to buy a house, you know, these these sorts of things. I mean, are those things bad? Well, no, of course, of course they're not bad. But are you trying to find yourself in those things? Right. Are, are you because I mean, ultimately, Jesus' identity is being tested here. Yeah. Where does your trust lie? Does it does your trust lie in your ability to take care of yourself, in your ability to make money, in your job, in your home or car or whatever that might be? Are you trying to find yourself in those things? Because Steve, isn't that what ultimately, as you read on it, that's that's the challenge for you and I. 
it, it's that question that you should ask yourself with whatever it is that you're, you're doing or pursuing. What is it for? It's, you know, the, the why. Sometimes we get so caught up in the what, we don't ask ourselves the why. You know, I, and, and so we've gotten into this, my wife and I have gotten into this practice with our kids when, uh, when, when my daughter asked me, Daddy, why are you going to work? Like, why do you need to make money? Because she's starting to understand the concept of finance. And we're, we're trying to teach her at an early age to appreciate it, um, but not be bound to it. And, I, and I'll say to her, well, daddy is going to work so that we can continue to do what the Lord needs us to do. And in this season, that looks like daddy going to work. And, she, and she, it is just easy. It's simple for her to understand that, oh, Okay, so it's not just because daddy wants to be doing this and uh, it's like, well, no, like I enjoy, I enjoy the work that I do, yes, but at the same time, my identity is not rooted in it. It's, it's not this thing of I'm, I'm not trying to build my castle, for, uh, you know, that is not the pursuit of me to build my castle. But if the Lord needs me to have a castle, it better be for something that, uh, <laughs> you know, that pertains to bringing people the gospel. Otherwise, I'm just storing things up for myself. So we have this moment where Jesus responds in Scripture on the, on the truth of God's Word, that he's going to continue to entrust himself to the Father. And you get this sense where Satan's like, okay, Jesus, you know, let's just see how much you're willing to trust God. And here's the, the next temptation. So starting at verse 5, Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. By the way, in the Greek, uh, maybe you could read this for the listeners, Steve. I, I love this in, in verse 7. Uh, the Greek actually said, Jesus says, on the other hand, do not put the Lord your God to the test. It's, it's very interesting. It's like, I see what you're doing, Satan, but no. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, the word is paline. Yeah, on the other hand, or again... So that's where we get the word also, right? It is also written. And Jesus is saying, well, on the other hand, it's written. It's like, oh, I know the Bible too, actually. <laughs> <laughs> because ultimately, that's a key that's happening here, is here Satan is like, okay, you want to quote Scripture, Jesus? And he quotes Psalm 91, but ultimately is twisting it to his own, his own device, right? Well, ultimately, Satan's saying... Let, let's see what would happen. You know, if you're really the son of God, throw yourself off of this temple, which by the way, this is, this is kind of like a movie moment, isn't it? We were in a desert. Now, like it's a, it's a scene change and Satan has whisked Jesus off in, onto this high point and we're in this new scene. And uh, in this new scene, you, you have this idea where Man, if Jesus were to just jump off of this temple and you see these angels come to his rescue, that it would be this miraculous moment where it's like, well, if you want to be the Messiah, Jesus, and and if you want to trust your father, well, I mean, how much are you willing to trust him? Because if you do this, Jesus, well, surely they're going to see you as the Messiah. Surely you'll have a following. And, and again, it's this idea of in your power, Jesus, you could do this. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, in fact, we read about that later in the Gospels, right? Uh, so there's the story of Jesus getting arrested and Peter being the kind of reactive or reactionary person that he is. He pulls a, pulls out a sword and chops the ear off of one of the servants and Jesus stops him and says, don't you know that if I called on my father, like he would send 12 legions of angels. Guys, a legion had thousands of soldiers, right? Like, so he, he can command tens of thousands of angels, right? I mean, one angel would have been oh, Well, I was just going to say that, Steve. In the Old Testament, we see that one angel is enough to take out an entire army. Right. And, and so, so what, um, what Jesus is saying kind of implicitly is he's got an immense amount of power that he could unleash on the world to save himself from all the shame, humiliation, physical pain, and everything. But he continues to trust in the Father. See, the, the thing I see with it is, is Jesus has this level of patience that I just, I just, I, I'm drawn to in seeing it because I think of this moment and, you know, Satan is essentially saying, hey, use your power now. And the Lord's like, no, not, not now. It's not happening now. I know I could do that. Don't tell me what I'm capable of. <laughs> and then the next, then when you see it again is, is the first miracle. When he turns water into wine, it's this like idea of if I do this now, it is going to set everything I have been called to do in motion. Like as far as the, what the public eye will see, you know, things were already set in motion a long time before that. But it's just this level of patience that the Lord has. And, you, and he, when he makes statements throughout the gospel, like, no, my, my time has not yet come. Just like, man, like. If I knew I had all this power and authority, <laughs> it's just like, that's why I'm not you. Well, on that note, uh, Troy, I mean, think about that. You, you've got two children, right? And every parent has those moments where they think about, what, what wouldn't I do for these children as you contemplate your love for them? But that love becomes quite, can become quite twisted and can become quite evil if you think about, what would I do if somebody took my children? Mm. What would I do if somebody abused my children? And, and it's more than just that, because we're talking about what would you do if you had power, a lot mm. of power? And, that, you know, it's, it's kind of that Lord of the Rings moment <laughs> where the weight of the ring just starts to distort your character because yeah. you start to realize that the weight of that power you would use to horrible ends. Yeah, I mean, I've had my share of rage fantasies you know, about our kids getting abducted and things like that. And the things that go through my mind are quite hor horrific, right? Because I'm like, this is where all my protective anger now gets twisted and spills out into just unjustified violence. Because now at this point, there there's a very kind of a funny flip that happens. It is, it is no longer about protection. It is now about inflicting pain. Getting justice it's for yourself. It's payback. It's it's revenge, right? And, and and that's where even my love as a parent can be twisted. Now, on that note, isn't it interesting as you brought up, you know, Troy and and Steve here, uh the love of a parent and the love of a child where Satan's trying to get Jesus to do this miracle, but he's, he's, he's not going to do it. He's going to trust himself to the Lord. 
But then the Lord's going to use his mother, right? Because it's his mom, Mary, who says, Jesus need you to change this, you know, water into wine. And she's like, I don't know, you know, is it my time? And she's like, oh, no, it's your time. You yeah, are. Yeah. Like, <laughs> well, I'm not going to do this for your book club. Like, come on. Like, this is not fair. No, you are <laughs> going to turn this water into wine. You know? <laughs> so you get this moment, right, with this father, uh, sorry, this mother-son moment. And she's like, yes, ma'am. Uh, and and uh, changes this water into wine. And his ministry begins, uh, you know, I, I I love, I love that scene. You know, here he's saying no, no to Satan. He says yes to his mother as he walks in trust in the Lord's work in that the Lord's will is not going to be brought about by these miraculous signs or power, but is going to be brought through humility and trust and ultimately suffering. This brings us to our last temptation in verse 8. Again. The devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended to him. I think this is one of those moments where all of heaven went silent. You know, and and the angels are watching this scene, the Father, and the, you know, and as the Spirit is, is, is there attending to Jesus, you know, this, this moment of, of silence, like, this is, this is the crux, isn't it, guys? Yeah. This is the crux of every temptation as Satan works and as he does his scheming and his deception. This is ultimately where he's leading is to this. I'll give you Whatever you want, just bow your knee. Say, Jesus, listen, Jesus, you don't need to go and suffer humiliation. You don't need to go hang on a cross. You don't need to be murdered by these people. Just, just bow your knee to me, and I'll give you the whole thing. It's this really interesting chess match that ultimately— Satan thinks that he's in control, but the whole time Jesus is baiting him to get to your point so I can rebuke you. Get to what you're really asking me, because you know I'm not going to do that. You also know I'm not going to do that, but I'm waiting for you to expose yourself so that I can rebuke you. We're not really arguing about the interpretation of scripture here. Get to what you want. And it's just, I love, you know what? I'm not even going to answer that. Go. That, that is enough. <laughs> Just like, ah, see, told you he would say it. Next. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting when I look at these, um, these three miracles in tandem, uh, I, I don't know where I heard this. I've, I've heard one preacher kind of explain it this way. And he said, here are three different ways for Jesus to get what he wants without having to suffer. One is by using physical power of turning stones to bread, and then using spiritual power of doing miracles. I mean, this is the temple. If he jumps down, everybody's going to see him, and everybody's going to know what he's capable mm-hmm. of, right? Uh, and this is like the center of uh, the the Judaic sort of learning and religiosity and everything. All the religious leaders are there and everything. Uh, it's very kind of similar to when 
when he was hanging on the cross, they were like, well, if, re if he really is the son of God, bring himself down from the cross, then we'll believe him, right? Jesus could have done that here. And he could have used the spiritual power. He says, no. Steve, isn't that interesting? In actuality, then, he's showing you that he is the son of God, not by bringing himself down, but by remaining up. Yep. Right. Yeah. And, and, and then the third one is political power, right? So you have the physical power, spiritual power, not political power. He could have, right, uh, accomplished. So, so he, he could have done things in a different way by not trusting God, but using political power. But again, what you see when Jesus gets arrested is when he is face to face with Pontius Pilate, here is a governor, right, sent by Rome to rule over Judea. And here he's asking, because Pontius is, because uh, Pontius Pilate is wondering, is this one of these like insurrectionist guys? Like, do I need to worry about his political allegiances or anything? Right? And he says, So are you a king of the Jews? Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus says, No, my kingdom is not of this world. Oh, um, yeah, with, without question. And in fact, we read in Luke that it says that Satan left him. Uh, until an opportune time, and that in fact he returns in the, you know at, at pa right after Passover, when right before Jesus is to be arrested, and uses the most devious means possible to tempt Jesus and to twist God's plans. He uses his own friends. He uses the disciples. Peter yeah. opposes him and says, I'll never let this happen. And what does Jesus say in response? Right? Get, get behind me, Satan. It's a very similar rebuke, right? Yeah. Ultimately, Jesus has authority over Satan. But you can appreciate, you know, how difficult that would be. And we've all had those moments when a friend or a family member is used against us. Yeah. And even his disciple Judas betraying him. And then all of his disciples abandoning him. And he's left there alone. And in that moment, you know, will he entrust himself to the Lord? Will he continue to bow his knee, if you will, to the Father's will? Even if it's going to cost him his life on that mm. cross. And ultimately in doing so, Jesus maintains the essence of life, isn't it? trusting in God, trusting God's word, that this is going to lead to his good, is going to lead to our good, our flourishing. God's plan is, is good, even if it requires suffering, even if it costs him his life. And here's my point. And this is, this is where, as a Christian, I just come before Jesus and I just say, Jesus, teach me. That in the midst of all that's happening, Jesus never loses sight of who God is and who people are. He loves God and he loves people to the end. Never, never losing that focus, continuing to trust in his heavenly father. And in fact, he loved people so much that he joined humanity in exile, right? Mm. Uh, again, Philippians 2, right? Though he was in the form of God, he emptied himself, right? And he he becomes, um, he puts on flesh, 
joins humanity that has been kicked out of the Garden of Eden. He joins us here, tabernacles, dwells among us, and ultimately uh, humbly. So there's a lot of uh, humility that we see in the story of the temptation. Mm -hmm. And, And he humbled himself by becoming obedient Paul says in Philippians, right? And and that's why God exalts him, right? And and bestows on him the name of, that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. And the isn't Father. that interesting? Why should they do that? Because he's worthy of it. Yeah. In his humility and in his love, he's good. He's worth lifting up. And, and that's, that's ultimately, I, I pray with this podcast, as we lift up Jesus, I pray that it would just draw you to him. And particularly those of you that are dealing with temptation in your life and you have failed and, and, and you are, are, are in that moment of just <clears throat> realizing how broken you are and how unable you are to be able to, to succeed in the ploys of, of Satan. Because, guys, isn't that part of the humility? Yeah. Isn't part of the humility for you and I to realize we are not Jesus? We suck. We will fail. It's important not to oversimplify temptation. It's really important not to oversimplify temptation. But at the same time, there is this level of complexity that should draw you to Jesus. That's, and that's exactly what, what, you know, Andy and, and Steve, you guys are saying, is there is this level for us where you need to take a look at your human nature. You need to look at your humanity. Don't justify it because Jesus, Jesus became the justification. And what I want to encourage our listeners, if you are struggling with one type of sin or another, whether it's pornography or addiction to something else. Addiction is particularly difficult because it affects your will and you find yourself continuing to come back to it even though you don't want to in your sort of sober moments. Uh, What I want to say is even as you're dealing with your addiction, know that Jesus has paid for all that. And so as you wrestle through your addictions, you don't have to do it from a place of despair, but do it from a place of that release and the freedom that you have in Christ that Jesus has paid for all this. Each time I fail, I can always come to Jesus. He's the one who never failed. And it is his righteousness that is on me, that has been imputed to me. It is not my righteousness. Amen. Amen. And that should bring you as a disciple or a student to Jesus, the teacher, he has succeeded where we have all failed, and we come to him in our humility, in our brokenness, knowing, as you say, Steve, that he is good. He has succeeded. I have freedom in him. That grace has been freely given. I don't have to earn that. I don't have to try to deal with my temptation and try to succeed over that as though that's going to justify me before the Lord. I've already been justified, but now I come before him and I say, Jesus, will you teach me to trust you? Will you teach me to stop wanting to place my trust in myself and in my ability to, to, to 
provide a good life, if you will, for myself, but to believe that you are good and that you will lead me to good places and that my flourishing is found in you. And so in those temptations, I'm going to trust in you. And and I just want to play that out for you guys in a very simple way. When I saw pornography for the first time, I was in college. Back in those days, there wasn't Google yet. It came out like a year or two later. Yes, I'm that old. And uh, <laughs> I'm going to say it. <laughs> back then, they would email it to you. So it got emailed to me. And I opened this up and I thought to myself, dear Lord, I didn't know that that sort of thing existed on the internet. I was pretty naive. And second, I realized I have no chance of defeating this. I, mm. I think I think it's just so important to realize that, again, that humility of brokenness going, I, I don't got what it takes here. I, I quickly found a, a an accountability software. At that time, XXX Church had, had put out an accountability partner. I immediately put that onto my computer and made my mom my accountability partner. Some of you have heard the story before. That's ballsy. Yes. <laughs> because, because, but don't, isn't that what you do when you know yourself? That's what you do. Yeah. That's what you do. I'm not going to succeed here. I suck. I'm broken. Satan's going to win, but I need some help. I need your help, Jesus. I need the church's help. I need my brothers and sisters in Christ's help. And I walk in that accountability uh, led by the Spirit. And listen, I, to this day, have accountability software on not only my router that comes into my home, but all of my devices— Again, why do I do that? Because in humility, I know that I'm not Jesus. And then mm-hmm. in humility, coming before Jesus, going, Jesus, will you help me in, in this that I would continue to place my, my trust in you? So that means, guys, doesn't it, that the very first place you need to start in your brokenness and in, and in Satan's victory in your life through temptation, that you need a relationship with Jesus. And you have to want it. You have to want it. Because sometimes what comes up is people have this feeling of, I'm not worthy of that forgiveness because of the shame that has come from it. I'm not worthy of being forgiven. I'm just a mess. And, it, and to me, that speaks as much as people may be trying to, you know, speak to their own frailty. What it's actually doing is diminishing what Jesus did on the cross. And that is where my concern comes in. And in fact, when you say, I'm not worthy... You're right. You're not worthy. That's the whole point. <laughs> yeah. Jesus is worthy. Yeah. He has done it for you. Man, guys, there is so much more that could be said in this passage. I, I We could unpack this forever, but we come to a close here. I think it's important to note that Jesus' Jesus's success in his temptation has allowed for our success. It is, it is through Jesus' trust in his Father unto death on the cross that provides forgiveness for our failure and that we can have a new start in Jesus. And I, and I was thinking about that as we compare, you know, the Genesis account to this, the, you know, this Old Testament account to this New Testament account here in Matthew, where Adam and Eve's temptation brought evil and death as they failed Yet Jesus' temptation resulted in forgiveness in life through his success as he continued to entrust himself to his heavenly Father. 
So I, I want to end this podcast with an opportunity to place your trust in Jesus. That's the whole point of the Bible. That's the whole point of going from the Old Testament to the New Testament is this moment to take a step of faith, to take a step of hope and love as you trust Jesus to lead you. And so as we end, I, I want to give you that opportunity right now to just pray with me. Jesus, I I know that I have failed, but you have succeeded. I believe that you love me and have demonstrated that love in suffering for me on the cross until death, but that you have risen, that you have defeated Satan. I believe that you are wise and you are good. So I give you my life knowing that you are qualified to lead me. Today, I place my trust in you. Please forgive me all the times that I have been tempted and failed. I want to begin anew with you. Jesus, I love you and I want to be like you. I submit to your lead. Teach me as I walk with you in the power of the Holy Spirit that now lives in me. Amen. Hey, listeners. Thanks so much for tuning into this week's episode. We pray that you were challenged and encouraged. The AC Podcast is presented to you on behalf of Apologetics Canada. So to stay in the loop and make sure you never miss an episode, please subscribe to the AC Podcast on your preferred streaming platforms. And as always, love God and love people.